You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Amen. Hey, if you've got a copy of God's Word, why don't you join me in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. We are in a series in the book of Romans, and today we turn a corner with the car. And you'll permit me, uh, please, to use the car illustration a couple times in my introduction because uh, it's kind of fun, okay? So, so far in, in, in our series, we have gone through Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7, and we've been discussing how this series is all about sanctification. This is God's process of scrubbing the pot clean. This is God's process of shining the silver in our lives. This is God's process of day by day making us look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It means we have learned that we would die to sin. It means we've learned that we're no longer enslaved to sin. It means that we're no longer under the law, but we are to live by grace. It means that life is just too short to not grow in Christ. But that doesn't mean we are not gonna struggle in this. It doesn't mean that life is easy. See, the old master, my sinful flesh, wants to take control of my heart, wants to recapture it, wants to take me to the old haunts. My flesh wants to sit back in the driver's seat again and take me to the old places, the old people, the old me. My flesh wants to sit in the driver's seat and take me to new places, places filled with lots of promises but that are empty in the end, promising me all kinds of stuff but just ending up leading me to pain and hurt and brokenness and sorrow. My flesh wants the wheel. My sinful flesh wants to take me deeper and deeper into my sin to destroy me. That's the enemy within me. And that battle continues as we learned last week, Paul chapter seven, in chapter seven, Paul mentioning this enemy within and Paul also telling us that the worst part about this is we're often blind to it. We need to see our own blindness sometimes. That's where our flesh wants to take us. But it doesn't matter where our flesh wants to go. It doesn't really matter what our flesh wants to do because the reality for those of us in Christ Jesus is that now that I am in Christ, the Holy Spirit has the wheel. Now sin can influence and sin can uh, talk to me but it can never take the wheel again. Sin has had its license taken away from it. He's been chucked into the back seat, and yeah, he's still pretty mouthy. He still chirps the driver a little bit, but he's got no power over me anymore. The battle within me remains, but the Holy Spirit has control now. And when the Holy Spirit has control, he who began the good work in me will carry it to completion. My life is going in a different direction now. Because the Holy Spirit is in my life, I am now free. And that's where Romans 8 is gonna take us to. Many people have described Romans chapter eight as the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. Now that's not intimidating for me as a preacher. 
I don't stand in my authority, I stand in the authority of God's word, but I get to unpack some of this today. And what we're gonna do, riding along with the Holy Spirit, is go see the parade. We're gonna see the parade of God's glory that begins in Romans chapter eight. And it doesn't just end here this week, it's week after week after week that awaits us of God's great glory, God's great praise as the Holy Spirit lives within us and as we truly live free. So if you want the message for today's message from God's word, here it is. Stop listening to the idiot in the back seat. And start letting the Holy Spirit drive the car. It's time to live free. The Holy Spirit has set the believer free to obey God and to now live for him. Here's the whole point in two words. Live free. Romans chapter eight, verse one says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? The believers, those of us in Christ, we're called to live free. And here's point number one in your outline. What does living free look like? Well, living free means you are not condemned. It's the first float, as it were, in the parade of God's great glory that the Holy Spirit has taken us to. It's this, there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. Now the word there for condemnation that you see translated into your English carries with it the idea not just of judgment, but judgment that carries with it punishment. You're not just gonna get judged, you're also gonna get punished as a result of this. But this is negated, it's no, there's no. In fact, in the original language, the word no comes right at the very beginning of the sentence, meaning this, no, never, no, never will there be condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ today, you will never face judgment and punishment for your sin. Why is this? Verse two. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You are no longer condemned because you have been set free by the spirit of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And what work was that? God the Father began it in verse three. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now that's complicated, but what verses three and four are saying to us in a, in a nutshell is this, God sent his son to fulfill the law and set us free. Now, I've been thinking about a way to illustrate this for us, and I came up with this diagram. It's a circle diagram, super simple, okay? This is what verses three and four are telling us. Three and four are telling us that God, in a moment in time, not out of any deficit, not out of anything that he lacked, decided to create. God did not create because he was lonely. God did not create because he needed love. God did not create because he wanted companionship or because he needed higher glory. God had all of that to begin with. God had all the love he needed, all the glory he needed, all the worship he needed. God was complete. So why did God create? God created to share himself. And so God, in a moment of time, forms and fashions the world by the very word of his mouth, speaks it into existence, except for one element in creation that's you and I, mankind. For mankind, God 
crawled on the ground, got his hands dirty, and breathed life into us. Mankind, the highest of creation, mankind made in the image and likeness of God, mankind made for the explicit purpose to share in the goodness of God. We were made for fellowship with God. But from the very beginning, God and man, that relationship was broken. As man looks to God and says, I don't want you over me. You do not make a good God. I make a good God. I won't just break the rules, I'll make the rules. I decide the course of my life and I decide what's best for me. And in breaking that relationship, man has become broken from the center of his very existence. And man is even worse, he can't get back. And so God in a second moment in time sends his son clothed in the likeness of human flesh and found in human likeness comes as man dies on the cross, suffers the death that you and I deserve for the sins of the world, and now as a result of this, clothing us in the righteousness of God, we are now restored in relationship to God. This is the great truth that Romans is speaking about. And now, because the Lord has done all of this, because Jesus has died for my sin, all of the requirements of the law are met. My punishment is paid for, 100%. No judgment, no condemnation hanging over me ever again. And rather than me being condemned because of my sin, the Lord has come and he has condemned sin himself. And that means, that means, loved ones, that you won't be punished. That means I won't be punished for my sin. All of the things that you carry around with you, the struggles that you still have, the struggles that you had, the struggles that you have in the future, the sin that pervades your life, none of that you will be punished for. The foul mouth, the lies, the gossip, the mouth that dishonors God, the addiction, the reliance upon things rather than the Lord, the sexual licentiousness and the delight in temporal things, illicit things other than him. You won't be punished for that. Never, ever, ever. The discouragement, the lack of faith and trust in him when he calls me to believe in him, even in the darkest moments, to trust in him and I don't. The lack of patience, the anger, the frustration, the bitterness when I turn around and treat people worse than I myself have been treated. The pride that infects my heart and seeks to place me at the center of my life and rejects God and rejects his place and rejects his glory. None of that you'll be punished for. You won't be punished for your lack of care for the lost right now today. You won't be punished for your lack of care for the hurting around the world. You won't be punished for that. You won't be punished for the hobbies that consume you, the controlling obsessions like shopping or hockey or sports or your kids' sports or clothing, the things that consume your mind and attention constantly. You're not gonna be punished for that either. All of your punishment, all of your sin has been quenched fully and completely at the cross. And if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for you because you are found in Christ Jesus. And listen, not one sin, not even once brought before me, here or in heaven, no condemnation. Because in Christ not one ounce of anger remains between God and me. When I fall even today, God's not up in heaven shaking his head. God's not there disappointed. God's not there angry at you. 
That's all been quenched at the cross. Only favor, only grace because of what Jesus has done for you. That's the first float in the parade. What a way to begin. Is that the way you're living? No condemnation for me, man. Maybe you're struggling with that today. Maybe you've, maybe you've got a struggle with that today and, and you're doing one of two things. I got a backpack here to illustrate this. You're carrying around this backpack. And anything that comes, you're, you're stuffing in the backpack. And you're constantly remembering the things that you did and the person you were and you're stuffing it in the backpack. And oh, I did that again and stuffing it in the backpack. I'm a, I'm a terrible person. I'm a horrible person. And how could God ever love me? Like, stuffing it in the backpack. I'll guarantee you one of two things is happening, okay? And the first one is gonna surprise you. First, maybe you are actually condemned. Maybe that backpack's on you because you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You never trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, never turned to him away from the things of your, of your life, never confessed those sins, never asked and cried out for his grace and mercy and forgiveness that he would forgive you from your sins and wash you clean. And you're carrying that backpack with good reason. If that's you today, that backpack's a warning. And what do you need to do? You need to give that to Jesus Christ who has paid for all of your sins. Even you who think that you're too far gone even you who think you're hopeless, there is enough grace and mercy for you and then some. That could be you. But if you're in Christ, maybe, maybe there's another reason why you're carrying that backpack and you're hearing things and you're stuffing it in and you're stuffing it. Do you know why that backpack's full now? It's because you're filling it up. No one else is putting that condemnation on you. That's you. That's a tactic of the enemy. That's the enemy within again, judging you. Can you believe that God, why, why would God love you? Why would God listen to you? Look at what you're doing again. You're such a disappointment and you just put it in the backpack and put it in the backpack. And what do you need to do if that's you? Carrying around the guilt and the shame of who you once were, remembering again and punishing yourself again for the mistakes that you made, for the, for the sin that you made before Christ, for the sin that you made in Christ and you've repented of. And that's you judging yourself. What do you need to do with that? It's pretty simple. You need to read Romans chapter eight, verse one, and you need to drop that backpack because your reality in Christ Jesus is that you are not condemned and you don't treat yourself more harshly than the Lord of the universe will. You cling to Romans chapter eight, verse one as your truth and you love that truth all the days of your life so that when the enemy cries in and your flesh seeks to judge you, you just cry this verse out. I'm not condemned. I'm freed in Jesus Christ. I know who I was and I know who I am, but it's not because of my effort. It's because of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for me that I stand here righteous in him, not my works, but his alone. One more thing quickly before we leave this first verse, this first float in the parade. Sometimes, and I say this sometimes, we confuse the text of Romans chapter eight, verse one, that word condemnation with two words that kind of sound like it. The first word is conviction. Condemnation 
in the same as conviction. You understand this? Maybe even right now, conviction is building up in your heart. Uh, something God has been saying to you. Uh, here's how the flesh will work. The flesh will try and get you out of that conviction. Oh, it's not really a big deal. It doesn't really happen. It's, ah, everybody does it. It's no big deal. It's just kind of the way I am. That's the way I made. It's not a big deal. She, she understands. He understands. It's all good. That's me. Ha ha. That's what the flesh tries to do. Just forget it. It'll go away. But conviction is a good thing. You understand this? Not condemnation. We're not talking about condemnation. Condemnation that leads to death. We're talking about conviction that leads you to the cross of Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Sometimes you can confuse condemnation with conviction. You want conviction. You don't have condemnation anymore in Christ. But the second word you can confuse it with is consequences. Condemnation isn't the same as consequences either. Sometimes sin brings consequences. Sometimes you can sin your way into a divorce. Or sometimes you can sin your way and your health into a bad place. Sometimes you can sin so much that your kids can't escape the memory of who you were and your relationship isn't what you want it to be. Or your finances tell the tale of your sin. And listen, let me say this very carefully. And then there are also the consequences we carry because of others. Their sin and what they have done to us. But here's the truth. Both conviction and consequences, with both of those, you are never, never, not for one second, meant to carry those in your strength by your own power, by your own abilities. In fact, here's the difference between condemnation and these other two. Consequences and conviction are meant to lead you to the grace that is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, I can't do it, I, can't, I need your help. Lord, I'm reaping the consequences of things done to me or things that I have done, please help me. Condemnation, but that leads to death. And in Christ Jesus, condemnation has been dealt with. So yes, for the believer in Jesus Christ and the follower of him, yes, there is conviction that's meant to lead you to Christ. And yes, there are consequences and they are meant to lead you at, into Christ. But living free never means that you're living condemned. Good? No, good. So good. And that's just the first float in the parade of God's glory. Back to verse four. <laughs> Yay. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, how is it that we walk? Verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Now here's our second point. Living free means this. I will also secondly, I will set my mind on the spirit. I'll set my mind on the spirit. Now what you'll see in the next four verses is the phrase set your mind, setting their mind a bunch of times. Uh, that's the English word that we get, mindset, right? 
and I'll pull a definition of mindset up. Don't take a picture, don't write it down. It's not that important. It says, it's just my definition. It's your go-to mental attitude that determines how you interpret and respond to your situations. It's what you do when you look at yourself, when you look at the future, when you look around you. It's your mindset. Why is this important? Well, you should choose very carefully how you set your mind because the consequences are pretty important. Verse six, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are of the flesh cannot please God. Once again, we're called to live free, to be done with the old way of living, in this new way of living, in living and led by the Holy Spirit, not into condemnation anymore, and now into a place of setting our minds upon the Spirit. What does that mean? It means this, thinking like a follower of Christ. Thinking like a Christian. How many of our anxieties and fears would evaporate if we would start thinking like Christians? How many of our frustrations and our angers would be repented of if we started thinking like Christians? How many of our disagreements with one another and with others in the world would disintegrate if we started thinking like Christians? Set your mind on the spirit means to think like a Christian. You say, okay, can you be more specific? Well, I'll give you three. I'll give you three big truths that are everywhere present in the Bible. Three big truths that will transform the way that you think even today, right now. Here they are, here's the three. One, God is sovereign. God is in control over every aspect of his creation. Within his universe, God knows what he's doing at all times. There was not a single moment ever in the history of creation where God stepped back and said, never saw that coming. Wow, I'm surprised by that. Or I don't know what to do. No, God is sovereign. You are not at the hands of men. You are in the hands of a sovereign God who is ruling and orchestrating his universe and he is moving his history in the exact plan that he wants to go on. That means that 2022 looks exactly the way he wants it to look. If there was a different method, a, a, a different way, a better way of advancing the kingdom of God in 2022, God would be doing that. But this is what it looks like. God is sovereign. You're not in the hands of chance. You're not in the hands of governments. You're not in the hands of warlords. You're in the hands of a sovereign God. Point number two, this is not my final reality. This life that you're living in is not the end for you. Do you understand that? That, that someday you will die and you will enter into eternity. And in Christ, you will enter eternity with Christ. Do you know what this means? This means that you should not live for this day. When compared with eternity, right now is a bus ride. Bus ride to the real place, okay? Who lives for a bus ride? Who's like, yay, more time in the bus. I love the bus. Look, I've made a little house over here in the bus and I've decorated my corner of the bus and I'll never let go of my bus. And then the driver says, we're here. And you're like, oh, oh this is the real place. This life that you're living right now, every single funeral you've ever been to and will go to will tell you this message also, that this life is not all there is. And everywhere in scripture is the hope of eternity with him. Here's the third one. 
The only hope for mankind is Jesus. It's not the end of wars. The hope of mankind is not capitalism. It's not communism. It's not democracy. It's not some monarchy. The only hope for mankind is the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there was a better hope, a different hope, something that would work, why did Jesus come? Wouldn't God have done that? No, the only hope for mankind is Jesus Christ. Listen, what's the problem? Why aren't these messages coming into our heads as much as we want them to come in? Well, the problem is, is that we're feeding and filling our minds on things that are not that. Things that may or may not be true. And all the while rejecting or ignoring the central organizing truths of all reality. That's stuff we're not thinking about. Listen, I get it. I get it. I'm there too. I've done my own share even this week of doom scrolling. You know, what, what's CNN got to say? What's Reuters got to say? What's YouTube got to say? What's, what, what's the experts over here got to say? What's this person got to say? What's CBC saying? What's the fringe media kind of saying? Uh, and listening to all these other voices. Never mind that. What is God saying to me right now? What is God trying to communicate to me? Hey, here, here's a few more. The first three, here's a few more. Stop fearing man in whose nostrils is breath. He's just around just as long as you are. Why are you afraid of that guy? Governments are put in place and taken down by God. Truth. God will never leave you or forsake you. Truth. The gates of hell will never, ever prevail against the kingdom of heaven. Truth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Truth. The worst they can do to you is kill you. Truth. Believer, you are called to live free. So set your minds on the spirit and the truth of who he is. Lord, help us right now. Help us right now to be a people that are not controlled by headlines, but that are led by the truth of you. You say, okay, okay, Craig, I get it. Uh, what are the steps? What, what, what's the application here? Here's the application. Read your Bible. You say, that's it? I say, you want more? Okay, uh, here's, I don't know, here's four F's for reading your Bible. One, find it. <laughs> Two, uh, feed on it. Uh, uh, three, filter everything you see and hear and live through, through it. Uh, and then flourish in it. You want a fifth one? Have fun in it, okay? Read your Bible. Maybe for you that means going to church, being here weekly, uh, dialing in weekly, actually making God's word a part of your weekly diet, maybe even more than that, uh, uh, changing the bad habits that have crept in over the past two years and actually joining one of our groups or joining one of our classes. Hey, 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 listen, great that you can go back to the movies, right? Great that we can do that. Great that we can go to the gym. Great that we can travel again. Great that we can all sit in a restaurant together again. Great even maybe that we can take our masks off again. But hey, maybe before all of this, our highest priority is that we should actually care about whether we will get bulldozed by the world and actually start doing something about it. You say, come on, come on, pastor of overreaction. 
Don't be so serious. Verse six, what are the consequences? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. And can, indeed, it cannot. Those who are of the flesh cannot please God. You listen to that voice that's sitting in the back seat, and you're not going to please God. But if you're in Christ, you're called to live free. Let me ask you this question. Do you think it's pleasing when you're scrolling news feeds all day long, when you're glutting yourself on social media? Do you think it's pleasing to God when you're diving into conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy? And by the way, so what? What if it's true? Maybe it's true. What are you gonna do about it then? I'll tell you what you're gonna do about it. You're gonna live for Christ now. And all the while, while you're doing this, while we are doing this, The word of God, meant for life and godliness, is so infrequently fed upon by emaciated Christians who are lulled to sleep, who are led off into panic or leap off into rage. And maybe when they do read the Bible, they're only future-focused. The future, the future, the future, the future, the future. I read this, it said this, I read this, it said that. Have you read this and this? And Daniel, have you read this in, in Revelation? And, and I read this and I read this and I read this and I read this and read this and read this and read this. Do you know what the purpose of biblical prophecy is? Real quick here. The purpose of biblical prophecy, if it is future telling, is to tell the future with the intent of obedience today. Not just to tell the future and be worried about the future. To tell the future with obedience today. What about today for you? What about today that God wants you to do? Like start loving your wife. Like to work hard at whatever God has called you to. To not slide into fear or anxiety. To not complain constantly. To be patient with people. To rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of difficulty and suffering. To pray for people. To pray for your leaders to repent of your sins. Open our eyes, God, that we would look into our hearts. That's what God wants. That's always what God has wanted. Today, how do I live for Christ today? Listen, do you take your faith seriously? Now more than ever, be in the word. The consequences are too grave. Jesus predicted it in a prophecy by saying the love of many will grow cold. Don't let that be you. Now maybe what you're doing right now is backing up and you're reaching for the bag again. Now don't do that. Don't do, push that away. No condemnation for you in Christ Jesus, but conviction Conviction that leads you to the cross, that's a good thing. And I believe what the Lord wants today from us all, preacher included, is to be a people who are leaning into the word of God by the Holy Spirit, to be led by the truth, who are repenting of a meager diet of God's word and saying, Lord, it has to change. Please help me repent of this. Please turn my heart again to you. Too much is riding on it. My marriage is riding on it. My family is riding on it. Me as an individual is riding on it. My city is riding on it. My church is riding on it. This country, this world, Lord, please make me hungry for the word of God to be led by truth not by the headlines. We're called to live free. So live it. Live like Jesus is actually alive.
because he is. Surrendering to the Holy Spirit's work within us, we lean into him as he leads us, away from condemnation, to set our minds on him. And now verse nine, look at verse nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of God does not, the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So here's what Paul's doing. He's, he's reminding the Romans again that if they are in Christ, this is not only something they're supposed to do, but it's also something they are so capable of doing because the Spirit is working within them. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a new driver in your life. That's the Holy Spirit. But if not, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, then you don't belong to Jesus. So one more time, what are you waiting for? If the Lord is calling to you today, and you know it to be true, as he's working in your heart, you repent of your sins, and you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Lord, come, change me. I surrender my life to you. No more of me doing it. I need you. Look at the good news in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, although you carry it around, this death, the spirit is life because of righteousness. You may have been dead in your sin, but now you're alive in Christ, in the spirit. No longer a slave to sin, but a child of God. All right, that's pretty great. But now it gets even better, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you are in fact saved in Christ, brace yourself for this. You ready? There's a third parade float coming. And this one's awesome. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's time for us to live free, no longer under condemnation, no longer being led apart from the truth of God's word. But now, thirdly, what does living free look like? It looks like this. I will live forever because of the spirit at work within me. Now that's a final parade in this float, in this section, just the start, just the first 11 verses. In Christ, I will never face condemnation. In Christ, I will have the ability to set my mind upon the spirit. In Christ, I will live forever. Translation, once again, this life is not all there is. This life is gonna end, but with the Holy Spirit at work within me, I, my mortal body will be given life. So good time for a question. How's your longing for heaven? You know what I've observed? I've observed, maybe you're like this too, that the people who long for heaven the most, believers, are the people that have suffered the most pain in this world. Just seems to work that way. Significant loss, significant pain, significant physical hardship, significant difficulty, significant loneliness, significant trial. They long for heaven more. But what about you? Maybe that's not you. How can you increase your longing for heaven? Well, an increased awareness of sin brings that. As you realize who you really are, and an increased awareness of truth does that as well. An increased prayer life of seeking the Lord and longing for him in prayer. Increased sacrifice of my own life. In other words, as I release my grip on this world, I begin to truly long for that which I was made for. This is another way that God 
can use in our hearts now, even right now, to gauge where we are with him. Let me ask the question. If, if I have spent zero time this week longing for the Lord and longing for heaven, could it mean that I love this place too much? Another way you can tell if you love this place too much, if thoughts of losing things really, really mess with you, you spin off into anger at the loss of things, you spin off into anxiety and you hurt. I'm not just saying that, that, that these things don't happen. They happen, of course they happen. We all suffer loss, but they're controlling for you. They, they grip you with emotion that you can't escape from. Maybe you're going back to the bag again. Are you going back to the bag again? You're reaching down for the bag again? Don't push that bag away. There's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. It's conviction, though, conviction that is meant to lead you to the cross of Christ. In repentance, God, I have loved you too little. I have loved this world too much. Why would I settle for less when all has been given to me like this? And look at what God has given to you. This is just the first 11 verses of Romans chapter eight. And spoiler, there's a lot more coming in the weeks ahead. Look at what's been given to you. You have no judgment looming over you anymore. You are not under condemnation. Uh, Look look, at what's been given to you. You have the ability to have truth infused into your life and to be led according to it. Look Look what's been given to you. You have an eternity with him. Him who loved you so much, he gave his life for you. Why would we settle for anything less than this? Loved ones, I believe the Lord is calling us in a world that is slowly and steadily and increasingly intensifying to be a people of God who are living free, that our lives look much different in this time as we trust and take confidence in the God who has done so much for us. Well, what's the response to this? The response to this is to realize what's going on in my own heart. Where am I carrying around condemnation too much? Where am I escaping from conviction and not leaning upon the Lord for the consequences of my sin? Where am I being led by so-called truths of the world and not by the truth of God's word? And where am I longing for this world more than I am longing for heaven? I think one great truth out of this is for us to examine our hearts But then the second is obviously to celebrate, to celebrate all that our great God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. So God, we begin by asking for your grace and your mercy to help in time of need. Pray for repentant hearts in this room. This world is so messy and then our hearts are so messy. We've been put under a lot of pressure, carrying a blanket of stress around with us in this world, and then there's our own lives. And Lord, we confess to you that we have wandered from you, not living the way that you want us to live and not picking up the strength that you want us to pick up by your spirit. And we pray, God, for hearts that are specifically confessing and repenting to you and turning to you in dependence and need. God, forgive us. Thank you for your mercy. Continue to refine us, continue to shape us, continue to transform us. 
Thank you, God, that you never leave, you never forsake, you don't give up. And the work that you have begun, you are carrying to completion. Sometimes even using difficulty and trial and pain to accomplish it, but you're doing it, God, you're doing it. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for the sanctifying work that is taking place within us who have found Jesus Christ. God, I pray for the hearts here today who are still struggling with this message of Christ and this message of hope. Lord, that you would do what only you can do, which is to convince the heart, to transform, to give new life, to breathe hope and peace and life, that their eyes would be open to the light of who you are. But in repenting and in turning to you, God, we also praise you. We celebrate you, the God who has done all this for people like us, who gives generously of himself to us, and who even right now is calling out with open arms to come to him, the weary, the heavy laden, to find rest in him. God, I pray that you would help our hearts and our minds to refocus around the truth of how you describe us in Christ. Yes, failing in sin, but also forgiven in you. Thank you, God, for the future that awaits us in you. Thank you, God, that we can celebrate that even now. We pray that you would use this song, this final song that we have, as an act of prayer and adoration to you. So we lead us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.